raised. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom He is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who He sent. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who, will hear, who hear, hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. But myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works I am doing, they testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You've never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you accept glory from one another? But do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Dear Heavenly Father, as we hear these words of Jesus, as we hear your words, we pray that you would convict us of sin, that you would drive out darkness, and that you would cause us to just bask in the light of who you are for us. Of all that Christ is for us, of all that he has done for us, Father, we pray that during this time you would show us where we have declared independence from you and draw us again to rely completely on you and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're picking up in, in verse uh, 19 here in chapter 5. Just want to remind you of the background of this passage. Last week we saw that Jesus had come to a place called Bethesda where there were pools and there was a lame man. It was just tons of, of lame and blind and sick people who had no hope. They had lost all hope. Their only hope was to come to this pool and there was some superstition that there might be a healing and the waters are stirred up and whoever's first in would get healed. And 
Jesus chooses this one lame man, out of all the, the hundreds of people who were there, there, chooses this one lame man and chooses to show him mercy. And he tells him, pick up your mat and walk. And he does so. And the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders come and they say, you can't do that. You can't pick up your mat and walk on the Sabbath day. They were more concerned about the breaking of their own traditions, their own rules, than they were about the fact that this man had been miraculously healed. Their priorities were all in the wrong places. And in verses 16 through 18, we see that this is a growing division between Jesus and the Jewish, uh, Jewish leaders. A growing division that will eventually end in Jesus' death. They persecuted him because of the Sabbath, because that he healed on the Sabbath, because he told this man to pick up his mat and walk on the Sabbath. But then you see also that they not only persecuted him because of the Sabbath, they sought to kill him. Why? Because he was making, he was calling God his own father and making himself to be equal with God. Now in our text today, these verses 19 through 47, this long uh, kind of monologue by Jesus, this teaching of Jesus, Jesus is basically saying, yes, I am equal with the Father. You heard me right, but I am not independent from the Father. Because in the Jewish mind, when they heard someone claiming to be equal with God, putting themselves in the same place as God, they heard, you're a rival to the only God. You're a rival to the one true God. You're setting yourself up in His place. Jesus is saying here, I am equal to the Father, but I am not independent of the Father. I am one with the Father. We, is Father and Son. We are working together. We are cooperating, not competing. I'm not usurping God. I am submitting myself to my Father. I'm doing, I'm doing His will. I'm obeying Him in everything. You're right, I'm equal to God, but I am not independent of God. This is a father-son relationship, a love relationship. He simply does what he sees the Father doing. That's what he says. I can do nothing of my own accord. I simply do what I see the Father is doing. I look at the Father and whatever I see that He is doing, whatever work I see His doing, wherever I see His will, that's what I'm about. That's what I'm doing. Think about a son who he sees his Father doing, doing workouts or working in the yard and he wants to model his life after his Father. He wants to do exactly what his Father is doing. Or walking in the, the sand at the beach, you see sometimes a son or a daughter trying to step in their dad's footsteps. Every step. They're too big. They can't do it. But here, Jesus does it. He is able to do it. He's able to perfectly do it. And He does. He does all of it perfectly. He sees what the Father is doing. And He perfectly obeys. He sees what the law requires. A doing of the work of God. A fulfilling of the will of God. And Jesus does it perfectly. You see what He says. I don't seek to please myself. I seek to please the one who sent me. In everything he does, he's seeking to please the Father. Tim Keller said, when, when you have the smile of God, all the other frowns around you don't matter a bit. And Jesus had the smile of God because of his perfect obedience, because of his perfect life. But he, he didn't just do everything perfectly. It wasn't just that his behavior was perfect. It's that his thoughts were perfect. He never had a wrong thought. In all of his obedience, he perfectly followed the will of God and thought exactly the way he was supposed to think. 
giving all glory, giving all honor to God the Father. He demonstrated complete dependence upon God. This is what he's trying to do. He's saying, yes, I am equal with God, but I am completely dependent upon the Father. And this is what God's will is for us. That we would be completely dependent upon God in everything that we do. The things that we say, the things that we think, that everything would reflect our dependence upon God. This shows itself in our prayer lives, especially, that's one place you can see it. If we are dependent upon God, we will be prayer warriors. We will be praying all the time because we know we, we are utterly reliant upon God. We are utterly dependent upon God. The Jewish leaders failed at their dependence upon God. We'll see that even more in the second half of this passage. The Jewish leaders failed in this. They are, they are actually accusing Jesus of the very thing they're guilty of. They're accusing Jesus of being independent from God. Of usurping God's authority over His life. Of claiming to be equal with Him. And they are the ones guilty of it. They have declared independence from God. And we have done the same thing. We, every day of our lives, declare independence from God. From the moment we are able to choose sin, we choose it. Now, independence means having no, no control from the outside. Being free from all control. Okay? And when we uh, declare ourselves independent, we are saying mainly two things. One, that we have the knowledge that we need to be self-sufficient, and we have the ability to be self-sufficient. We have the knowledge and we have the power to control our lives, to do what is best for our lives. And I hope you can see how that is sinful against God. It's, it, it comes from a, a heart of pride. You see, the sin underneath the sin is pride. The sin is independence from God, doing our own thing, going our own ways, fulfilling our own wills and desires, but the sin underneath the sin is pride. We think we know best. We think we have the power to fulfill all that we need in this life. We have declared independence from God. Every time, every time a person says, I know what the Bible says about sex outside of marriage, but this feels right for me. They are declaring independence from God. Every time you slander a brother or sister, say something false or speak uh, gossip about trying to, to uh, stir up uh, interesting facts about someone else, trying to divulge the, the personal details of someone else's life, you are declaring independence from God. God says, don't do it. You know it's wrong and yet we think we know better. It feels better. We like it. Every time we hold on selfishly to our money or to our possessions, we are declaring independence from God. And this one, this one might really hurt because we don't talk about gluttony very much. But whenever we overeat, whenever we try to find our, our God in food, that will give us the satisfaction that we need. We are declaring independence from God. This, this is the way it's been ever since the beginning. This is what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They declared independence from God. He said, don't eat from the fruit of this tree. And they said, 
at, at the suggestion of Satan, they said, this looks good to eat. This looks good. I think we will choose to eat this. We know better than God. And we can see it throughout the Scriptures. That we, just by nature, by our sinful fallen nature, we declare independence from God. We think we know better. We think we have the ability to live our lives the way that's best. Our hearts are bent towards independence from God. And Jesus wants to show that to the religious leaders. He wants to show them, you're accusing me of this, but really you're guilty of this. Everything I do, Jesus says, I'm dependent upon the Father. I'm the only one throughout all of history who has not declared independence from God. I am completely dependent upon the Father. I can do nothing. My aim is to please Him. Can you honestly say that your aim and everything that you have done or thought is to please the Father? Do you think you have earned the smile of God? The truth of Scripture is that we haven't. The truth of Scripture is that we cannot. Like Paul says, we find ourselves doing the very things that we hate. Jesus, He wants to show the religious leaders that they have sinned in this way, that they have declared independence, that they cannot please God, that they cannot earn the smile of God with what they do. Jesus says, I'm all about doing my Father's works, and the Father's going to do even greater works. What are, what is, are these greater works that the Father's going to show the Son? We see that in, in those verses. Uh, verses 19 through uh, 30. You'll, you'll mainly see two greater works that the Father is showing the Son. One is giving life. He speaks about raising from the dead, raising people to life, giving life. And the other is giving judgment. Giving life and pronouncing judgment. These the Father has given to the Son so that He might do these works. So that He might give life and so that He might pronounce judgment. And the climax of God's work in Christ is the work of Jesus dying on the cross for sinners. Because in this very act of dying on the cross for sinners, He is both giving life and pronouncing judgment. He's giving life to all who will come to Him in faith. Saying, this is my only hope. This is my only peace. This is my only righteousness. That Jesus died for me, a sinner. And yet, yet it also functions as judgment to all who will not receive Christ. To all who will not receive His goodness and His death for them. They will be risen to be condemned. Jesus' work, these greater works, giving life and showing, pronouncing judgment. Now look at verse, verse 21, verses 24 to 26, because there are two senses in which Jesus says He is going to raise the dead. Verses 24 to 26, Truly I tell you, whoever hears My word and believes in Him who sent Me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself and He has given Him authority to judge because He is the Son of Man. Here Jesus, I think, is speaking of the spiritual resurrection from death to life. 
He says, the, tow- the time is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. This is what happens in conversion. This is what happens, happened when you became a Christian, when you heard the gospel message preached, when you heard that Jesus is sufficient to save sinners, that He died on the cross for your sins and rose from the dead, the voice of the Son of God came to you and woke you up from the dead. The Spirit came to you and rose you spiritually from the dead. This is a miracle, a spiritual miracle, that the dead can even hear the voice of the Son of Man. This is what happened. This is how God saves sinners. By the proclamation of what He has done and the Spirit moving to awaken from death to life. Now, probably the... Everything I read is the most profound thing I'm going to say today because it's Jesus' words, but especially I want you to see the end of verse um, verse 25. No, not 25. Where is it? (laughs) Okay, the end of verse 24. That, That truth is just so amazing. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. And will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Christian, do you hear that? Have you trusted in Jesus? Have you trusted in Jesus and His grace alone to save you? Not by works, not by merit, not by your goodness, only in Christ. Have you done that? The scripture says you have crossed over from death to life. You have crossed over. Why would you continue in sin, if you have crossed over from death to life. That'd be like being raised from the dead and continuing to wallow in the grave. You have passed from death to life. You have life within yourself because Jesus, who has life within Himself, has given it to you. He who had life in Himself became death to raise you from the dead, to give you life. And you have passed from death to life. This is good news and that life starts now living by the spirit living in ways that please him not by our own moral striving or our own effort but by the grace of God by the spirit who is working in us but look at the second resurrection from the dead the first is the spiritual resurrection the second is the physical resurrection verses 27 to 29 Look at verse 28. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming. Notice he doesn't say, and is now, but a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Now the first one is Jesus speaking, and the dead hear his voice, the, the spiritually dead, and they are raised to life in Christ. But here he's speaking of those who are good and those who are evil that will be raised. All who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Now don't read this in the wrong way. I don't want you to read this as, if you're good enough, then you're going to be raised to life. Because I don't think that's what Jesus is teaching. If you take the entire Gospel of John, if you read this in context of the Scriptures, you will understand what it means. Jesus says in another place, there is none good but God alone. There is none good. So will a good person go to heaven? If there were such a person, he might. 
Jesus alone is good. God alone is good. Every one of us have failed. We have sinned. The only goodness that can grant you eternal life is the goodness of Jesus Christ for you. All of His righteousness, all of His goodness imputed to you, placed upon you so that when you trust in Jesus Christ, God looks down upon you and sees the righteousness of Christ. That's why we're saying, this is all my righteousness, the blood of Jesus. This is the righteousness. This is how we will be good enough to enter into heaven. Only if the righteousness, the goodness of Jesus Christ is credited to our accounts, is given to us so that God sees us as righteous in His sight. This is what's called justification. A declaration, a one-time declaration when a person trusts in Jesus, you are righteous in my sight. These will be raised to eternal life. But those who are wicked, those who have rejected the Son, will rise to be condemned. This is the judgment. And if you are still in your sin, if you have not bowed your knee to Jesus, if you have not looked to the Son the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and said, I've come to an end to myself. I'm, I'm a dead man without you doing something, Jesus, to save me. If you have not trusted in the work, the person and work of Christ, you have not passed from death to life. You're still spiritually dead. And one day, when Jesus returns, all will hear the voice of the Son and you will be raised to be condemned before God. Find your life in Christ. He's the only hope you have. Turn to Him in faith. Cry out, I have nothing, no righteousness of my own. I have no hope on my own, only that Christ died for me and you will be saved and you will inherit the kingdom of God. Only by His blood. Only by His righteousness. So Jesus is saying, yes, the Son, I am equal with the Father, so that all may honor the Son. If you don't honor the Son, you don't honor the Father. But I am not independent from God. We're working together. The Father has given me authority to give life and to judge. But Jesus, is Jesus just making this stuff up? Is He just coming up with all of this on His own? That's what, he, that's what we see in the rest of this passage, verses 31 to 47. He's showing the, Jew, the Jewish leaders, I'm not just making this stuff up. I don't have just my own testimony. If I just have my own testimony, you won't believe me. It's just the testimony of one person. But there are others who testify that I am who I say I am. That I am the Messiah. That I am equal with God. That I am one with the Father. Who are these other witnesses? John the Baptist is one who came and spoke and proclaimed, there's one who's greater than I. I'm not worthy to tie up the, the lace of his sandals. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist was one of the witnesses, but there's even greater witnesses than that. The Father. God the Father Himself is testifying that this is the Son of God. Through One through the works that He is doing. You see that in verse 36, the works the Father has given me, these testify that He sent me. 
These are the works He has given me to do that show I am the Son of God, the Messiah. But you're deaf and you're blind to Him. You don't have the love of God in your hearts. That's what He says to the religious leaders. His Word doesn't dwell in you. Look at another witness in verse 39. The Scriptures testify of Me. This would be talking about the Old Testament Scriptures and the Jewish leaders had misused them. They had Look to the Scriptures to give them, he says, eternal life. They thought they had life in the Scriptures. So they studied them meticulously, finding out all the rules, everything that they must do in order to earn heaven, in order to earn the smile of God. Jesus says, no, you've misused these. You've abused these Scriptures. These Scriptures testify of me. Now, just a side implication of that tells us how we should read our Bibles. We should read nothing in isolation of Christ. The Scriptures are not uh, basic instructions before leaving earth, as you've heard and maybe recited. It's not a rule book for how we ought to live. It's not even a promise book for pulling out promises in here and promises here and promises here. This is the story of God's revelation to man. This is God's revelation to man of the redemption story. This is all pointing to Christ. It prophesies the coming of Christ. It promises the Savior who is to come. It proclaims the Savior who came and died for us. It all points to Jesus. Jesus says so here. It all speaks of me. So here, the tables have turned. The Jewish leaders were accusing Jesus of being independent from God and Jesus turns the tables and says, Look, the Father witnesses that I am the Son. John the Baptist witnessed that I am the Son. The Scriptures witness that I am the Son. You are actually the ones who are declaring independence from God. You are the ones who are trying to get out from His authority. Jesus becomes the accuser. But actually He says, I don't even accuse you. Moses accuses you. Your hero of the faith accuses you. See, they had elevated Moses because he gave the law. He was their hero because they thought they had eternal life in keeping the law, in doing what it says. See that in verse 45? Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. You have set your hopes on fulfilling the law, on doing the law so that you might have life. But i got news for you. Moses accuses you. You have not kept it as you thought you had. Why wouldn't they believe all these things? If the Scriptures, if Moses, if His works, if John the Baptist all testified that He is the Son of God, why wouldn't they believe? Why would they refuse to come to Jesus to have life? Jesus identifies one of their main problems. They were seeking earthly glory rather than glory from the Father. Did you see that in verse 44? How can you believe... Since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. They were seeking glory from one another rather than glory from God. So, you know the scriptures in Matthew uh, 5 and 6, where Jesus talks about the Pharisees, who love to pray on the street corner, and they love to lift up their voice and, so that everybody sees them. And Jesus says, truly, they have their reward. They're receiving glory from man. Or those who give. 
in such a way that others might see all, all that they are giving to the poor and glorify them. Or they fast and they put on a sad face so everybody sees that they are really righteous, that they are really good, that they are sacrificing all these things. Jesus says, you do not believe in me because you are seeking glory from others. Uh, one thing I've noticed in football, notice it today as you're watching the Super Bowl. After, it used not to be this way. After every single play, after every single positive play, a player has to do something uh, showing how awesome his play was, showing how great his play was. Right? Notice that today as you watch. It's like, just, just do your job and then get back in the huddle and do it again and do it again. But we want to show off. We want to show both. And every one of us has that same tendency. We want people to think well of us. We want people to think that we give a lot of money to the poor, that we pray a lot, that we are good people. And if we fall into that trap, if you fall into that temptation of receiving glory from one another, then you will not be able to receive the glory from God. You're seeking the smile of those around you rather than the smile of God. Now, if you haven't received Christ, this is why. You're seeking glory from those around you and not the only glory that counts from God. And Christians, we find ourselves falling in this still. How then can we be rescued from this sinfulness? How can we be rescued from doing the very thing that we hate and not coming, not bringing ourselves to do the things that we love? Just stop it. Just recommit yourself to doing better, to praying more, to reading your Bible more, to fasting so that you'll get your life straight with God? What's the answer? Our hope is not ultimately in our own abilities or in our own knowledge to be able to fulfill the law of God. Our hope is not inward. That's where the Pharisees' hope was. Our hope is not inward, but outward. Our hope is not in our abilities to resolve after resolve, after resolve to do better. Our hope is not in the fact that we have honored God as we should, or even in the fact that we could somehow begin to do better. Our hope is not that we can somehow begin to please God, to receive the smile of God by our own works. Our hope, our trust, our reliance is upon the one who did please the Father perfectly. That's where our hope is. Our trust is that one has already come and demonstrated perfect dependence upon God the Father. In thought, word, and deed. One who perfectly pleased the Father by His life. One who wasn't simply a people pleaser, as we so often tend to be, but a God pleaser. He who had life in Himself was consumed by death in order to give us true and eternal life. He who pleased the Father on the cross received the displeasure of the Father so that we could be received into His presence forever and without sin, without blemish presented to Him. This is our hope. This is our joy. This is our hope and peace. This is our confidence that Jesus Christ is who He said He is and that He has enough grace to save all who come to Him in faith. But He doesn't just save us. He changes us. As we come to Him, as we seek His grace, 
He will make us into those who are fully dependent upon God. He's working it in you now. You have passed from death to life. And He's drawing you deeper and deeper into that life as you seek it in Christ. Don't, don't look within. Look without. Look outward to Christ who has raised you from